Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I get to welcome back a friend of the show, one of my mentors, Dr. Robert Tuttle, better known as Bob Tuttle. You're going to love this conversation. I'll put in the show notes other episodes where Bob has been my guest. Today, we take a deep dive into the heart of spirituality, which is the experience of of God's love, knowing that God loves each one of us deeply, simply because we're adorable. Bob goes into the gift of faith and how vital that is, anointed weaknesses, and how our greatest strengths really are the anointed weaknesses that we have in our lives, and also that full surrender to God's love. Listen in as we can learn from Bob's wisdom so that we can practice our lives as Jesus's followers for the long term. Bob, welcome back to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. It's so great to see you. Thank you, Brian. I'm delighted to be here and to see all of your good people. God bless you. Let me begin with a quick word. Yeah, please. Everyone who's watching this, I want you to believe this with all your heart. God absolutely adores you. Uh, and I say that because it's true, and that's because that's what God put on my heart. I, I'm, I'm, I've told Brian before, I'm cramming for finals now, so I do my exercises every day at 80 years of age, and then I take my walk, and that's when I do uh, my worshiping as I walk my 10,000 steps, uh, and I have a mantra. First of all, shoulders back and head held high, and to keep up your pace, and thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus is Lord. Come back, Jesus. Maranatha. And Jesus always says, in good time. And then I say, Lord, I love you. And God, you know what God says? Every time I say, Lord, I love you, God responds, we know. That's so good. Can you believe God listens to what I have to say and answers my prayers? And God listens to everything each of you has to say uh, and answers your prayers. So I'm, I'm uh, practicing my hallelujahs. When I get to heaven, I want to know how to do it. That's <laughs> so good. Well, well talk, talk, talk a little bit about, um, and it's so funny the way you even just spontaneously started this conversation, because I wanted to ask you, like, and you sort of touched on it already, but what would you say, you're 80 years old, you're still vibrant, I mean, you still teach, you speak, you're writing, what's been the secret of your longevity, and, and especially... What's the secret of the joy that you just you've always exuded in your life? I mean, I've known you since what about 1995 or 96, and you've always just always had joy. So, what's been the secret of your longevity and that joy that you bring to your life as a Christian? I think I think it's simply an awareness of God's presence in my life and God's presence in the world. I God has I have been treated with more respect than I deserve all of my life, Brian. Yeah. I've never had to look for a job. Uh, God has blessed me. And I remember about six years ago, I, Lord, why have you blessed me so much over the years? And you know what I heard God say? Most of those blessings were simply answering the prayers of your father. Oh, that's so good. I may have told you that. That is got his picture here, as a matter of fact, that I take, I carry with me. My dad. 
Oh, that's so cool. And again, if you're listening to the audio, you can check in on check in on YouTube. You want to see a picture of Bob's dad. He's hold, holding us a, a picture of, of for us right now. Road Scholar, IQ 160. Good man. Pastor, he wasn't an evangelical until uh, later in life. I've told you your group before. Uh, I was 20, 20 years old, a senior at Duke University, had never had a serious spiritual thought. I couldn't name the four gospels. Uh, and that's when I went to Wheaton to visit a woman I had met at the Grand Canyon. I've told you this story. Uh, but I'll just uh, briefly uh, uh, give you an account uh, re relevant to my father, who is the reason I've been blessed. And that he's, that's, that's the reason I'm joyful inside. Yeah. I, I am so blessed. Uh, and whenever I say my little mantra, uh, uh, as I walk and I pray for my friends, I pray for you every day, two or three times a day. Thank you. I pray especially for my pastoral friends as they're uh, pastoring their churches. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but Brian, I'm just blessed and uh, beyond reason. How do you remind yourself of all the ways you've been blessed? Because that has to be part of your practice. Is it so? Is there things because you just say that, and a lot of people say it, but obviously you really you say it, you mean it, and it comes out of you. So, what's helped you to cultivate that sense that you're blessed consistently? So now here you are at eighty, and you've met people that they were looking forward to retiring, and they're just checked out, and sometimes they're even you meet older folks and they're angry about where they used to work or their institutions. And I've never even got a sense of that from you. Every day seems to be, again, you, I'm sure you have bad days, but you, you've always had joy and you, and you can say you're blessed and yet life shows it. So what's helped you to cultivate that sense of being blessed uh, Actually, that you carry to till today? I don't have many bad days. If any, I don't remember a bad day. Well, I love that. I, I, <laughs> I was going to, I was going to answer that question and I forgot it. That's what you do. I'm, I'm spending more time uh, thinking about the hereafter. Like Tim Conway says, every time I go into another room, I say, what am I hereafter? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, it has to do with an awareness of God's presence in my life. Uh, I remember when I was converted back at Duke University my senior year, uh, my uh, one of my fraternity brothers told my philosophy. I didn't take a course at really in religion at Duke. The word at on the campus was if you want a guaranteed A, take a course in the seminary. And that so offended me that uh, I never took a course in the seminary, never took a religion course. Uh, but I, I, I majored in philosophy. And one of my fraternity brothers told my philosophy teacher I had just become a Christian. And he said, We'll take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he picked on me oh, all geez. semester and I remember some weeks he actually get to me and I remember uh, if I could just get to my closet and shut the door I could pray away these moments where he was causing me to have doubt and so about once or twice a week you see me jogging across the campus Am I, can you see me well enough am I light enough no you're fine yeah yeah about once a week, or maybe twice a week, you'd see me jogging across campus, up five flights of stairs, into the closet, shut the door, and pray it away. Across the campus, up the stairs, into the closet, shut the door, pray it away. And after about uh, four months, I realized God's probably tired of me keeping him up nights. 
And I went back to Wheaton to visit this woman and she had me rooming with Bob Stamps again. Uh, and uh, I needed faith. And so uh, Bob, we're in a private home and I didn't want to leave the lights on. So I went into the toilet, sat on the toilet seat, had a little fluffy top. I opened my little King James Bible that my dad had sent me uh, and looking for faith, concordance. And, and, and Hebrews 11 has a lot of faith. So I began reading Hebrews 11. All night long, I read Hebrews 11. Mm-hmm. And five in the morning, I had an experience that from that moment till this, I've not had a moment's doubt about God's presence in my life and God's presence in the world. And that that's, has nothing to do with spirituality. The greatest men and women of history, Christendom, never had that experience. Wesley never had it. He had doubts till his dying day. Mother Teresa surely never had it. And I worked for her for three weeks uh, once in Calcutta. Never met the woman. She was in the next room praying for me. She was too busy to come out. So I was, and I was so busy. I'd been there five minutes and I was dressing the wounds of the lepers. But anyway, uh, I had, I had an experience of faith. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a gift. You understand? You don't earn it. It has nothing to do with my spirituality. It's something that God gave me to keep me where Brian Russell is. You perhaps don't need that gift of faith, but God gave me a gift of faith. So from that moment to this, I've had a constant awareness of God's presence in my life. And I almost weep talking about it and it never leaves me. And that's the, that's the source of my joy. So uh, good. And, and can you clarify for folks? Cause like, I mean, I, like, I think you put me on too much of a pedestal because what I would say is what God tr- tries to do for me is like because I do have I have doubts um, I lack clarity um, but and I but what I've realized is at least in the way I think about it is I do have trust and I think that's what Mother Teresa had too and I've listened wow. to her um, about that and so when I hear you talk I hear and and again maybe I'm wrong but like I, I in my brain Bob Tuttle lives rooted in deep trust you're calling it faith. And, you know, when I think about that other great expression, I think that you say it's show up, pay attention. God's got more invested in this than you do. That's a posture of faith because, I mean, like I would say I don't have clarity, like what am I going to do tomorrow or what's going to happen? I don't know. Um, And I'm not and I don't have to have that because all I have to do is trust, know that God's going to be there and I just have to show up. I learned that from you. And to me, that's the antidote because too many people and you can talk about this, there's a difference between the faith that you're talking about and certainty about what to do next, right? And can you talk a little bit about that? I don't know a lot about what I'm going to do next. I just know I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll give me an opportunity for ministry when I least expect it. I was was speaking in an evangelism uh, pod uh, last week and reminding the people, as you just said, God has more invested in your ministry than you do. You come into contact with people every day I cannot relate to nearly as easily as you can because of who you are. And that's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me read you a little something from the Bible. You got a minute? I hope, take- yeah, we're getting, we're getting you going here, Bob. That's why you're on the show. So, yeah, we have a lot of, we have time. This is my sword. <laughs> if it gets too good, 
if, if you got to go up, just reach out and grab onto somebody, take somebody with you, okay? This is, you're going to love this. This is 1 Corinthians 12. Okay. It talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit. There are more than nine gifts, but and there are four lists of gifts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 2, I think. Uh, and there are 28 gifts, different gifts listed, and there are far more than that. You know what the only gift that's common to all four lists is? Dude, prophecy. Okay, good. When's the last time we heard a sermon on prophecy? Prophecy is, is the prophet speaking the word of God to the people. Uh, the, the, the priest speaks the word of the people to God, but the prophet speaks the word of God to the people. Listen to this. And their gifts. Prophecy is one of the gifts listed here. And then it says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Not so it is with the church. That would make this a metaphor. There's no metaphor here intended. You are not likened to the body of Christ. You are the body of Jesus Christ. Believe that. You, I mean, the very things that Jesus did, you, you do. And Jesus says even greater things. His parallel discourse in John 13, 31 to 16, 33. I know I wrote a master's dissertation on that passage. Uh, uh, it's his last will and testament. It's, it's, he's bequeathing the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are four paracletes saying, paracleo, call to the side of. Uh, the paracletes are the one standing next to the one about to go into battle saying, sick them in secular literature. I kind of like that. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. I'm thinking about it. But anyway, the farewell discourse, This is Jesus gives them that, not, not to compensate for his absence, but to guarantee his continuing presence. You realize Jesus is here in this moment. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are listening to our conversation. And they're interested in us. And they and, and they want to they want to answer our prayers. Jesus says, pray without ceasing. So anyway, uh, the body of Christ, you are the body of Christ, not no metaphor they're intended. You are not likened to the body, you are the body of Jesus Christ. The things that he did, you can do. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Throughout, Paul's, Paul, Paul likes the word mystery. You know how he uses that word? It's, it's, it's the unity of the church, how God can unite Jews and Gentiles. That's a mystery to Paul. But he talks about it all the time, especially in the book of uh, Ephesians. Uh, to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. You, I'm talking to you, you represent the body of Jesus, and together you will do the things that Jesus did, even greater things. He sent us his spirit, sent you his spirit, who listens to every word you're thinking in this moment, right now, I mean it. I'm telling you the God's truth. I wouldn't mess with you. I'm too old to mess with you. Okay. Because I'm not a, not a hand. But now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not a, an eye, 
I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Don't get bored. Listen to this. If you're on sabbatical, come on back. <laughs> but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I'm almost through here. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know what our greatest strengths are? Anointed weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. And, and our greatest strengths, our gifts, are anointed weaknesses. Here, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Yeah say, the, yeah, say more about that. Yeah, yeah. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with greater honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division. Excuse me, I got to praise God. Hallelujah so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. And if one part is honored, listen to me, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Sometimes it's, it's easier to, to sympathize with those who are, are in trouble than to rejoice with those who are experiencing uh, victory. Because we, we tend to envy the people who are experiencing victory, but we are in sympathy with those who are in trouble. And it's okay, but God understands that. But rejoice in your strength and your weaknesses, realizing that your greatest gifts are anointed weaknesses. Give those to God and get on with your life, realizing God has raised you up. Can you talk for a second? You're being really transparent right now. Can you just give an example for people listening of an anointed weakness? If you don't, if you have, if you don't mind sharing one that sure. God has used to be a really powerful strength for you as an illustration of this important principle. If you want to destroy your spirituality, uh, resent people. Yeah. See, I have no resentment toward anybody on God's green earth. And I'm telling you how I got there. I, uh, I, I told you I moved from, uh, I love teaching at Fuller Seminary. I was the first Wesleyan Armenian to te teach at Fuller Seminary. I used to walk the mountains, the San Gables with Jeff Romley. He gave me his first edition copy of Bart's Dogmatics that he had translated. Uh, my wife said, uh, we were separated. Uh, she was doing a PhD in clinical psychology and thought she was a lesbian. She wasn't and invited me and Eric, my son, to, to move, leave, leave the house. We did for two years. Two years later, she came back to me and said, we'll be reconciled if you move to Tulsa, which is where her parents are from. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to leave oh, uh, uh, Fuller Seminary. I was the only preacher the whole spring in chapel. Uh, they liked me, and I loved them. Uh, but I wanted to be reconciled. And so I said, okay. I packed up a little car, drove across the desert, drove into Tulsa, bought a house. I went to Oral Roberts, who sent me to Jim Buskirk. 
and said, uh, uh, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm living here now. He said, may I hire you? I said, well, you can. He said, I'll make you a full professor and, and tenure you. Can you believe that? I couldn't believe it. I bought a house. I decorated it. Uh, but my office was so air-conditioned, all of my books mildewed, and I caught pneumonia. And my students would come up to me and say, has God answered my prayers yet? And since I knew they were praying right, I must be receiving wrong. So the more they prayed, the worse I felt. One night, I remember fussing at God all night, all night long. And uh, you know what happened? <clears throat> Nothing. Two nights later, have I ever told you this story? Two nights oh. later, I had a 50-minute dream. I know it was 50 minutes because when I woke up, the dryer was still going. And in my dream, there's a white light sitting on the side of my bed. And I'm in my dream, I want the white light on the outside on the inside. So I'm flailing away with my arms, trying to get the white light on the outside on the inside. And I become so frustrated because I cannot do it. I woke up screaming. And after I got my son back to bed, God spoke to me. You know what God said? Bob, shut up. <laughs> I'm tired of you fussing at me. I want you to lie back on your pillow. And in the silence that is you, allow my spirit to plumb some new depth of your experience, some area of resistance, some sin in your life. Now, I went to the airport to greet my wife and son. Uh, she, was, she was to follow me to, to uh, Tulsa. He was on the plane and she wasn't. Mm. And it broke my heart. I cried off with my son in the seat next to me all the way home. Uh, and I had this deep-seated resentment, which was destroying my awareness of God's presence and my and my own sense of God's presence and my really my 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 my, my spirituality. And I'm teaching it ORU for crying out loud. So I laid back on my pillow. It took me 30 minutes to get the volume on the old history tapes, all this resentment, uh, low enough so I could hear the voice of God. Uh, that's, that's, that's why I've had 10 years of therapy. <laughs> you probably suspected that. Each of you could probably use a good dose of therapy. Therapy gets the volume on the history tapes low enough so we can hear the voice of God. Wow, that's great. After about 30 minutes, I got the volume on the history tapes low enough so that God could reveal areas of life not yet yielded to him. Sin, sin is that which separates us from God, ourselves, and those around us. You've heard me say that. And if it's not separating you from God, yourself, and those around you, stop worrying about it. I had more sin confessed to me the first five months teaching at Asbury Seminary than I'd had in 25 years teaching in other seminaries. Anyway, God began to reveal things, areas of life, sin in my life. Uh, and I said, God, as far as I know my own heart, I can't give them to you. But as far as I know my own heart, I'm willing for you to take them from me. As I renew my faith and trust in your son, Jesus. And that's what I did. And you know what happened? I got baptized with the Holy Spirit all over again. All of that resentment. Are you listening? Wow. Went right out of me. Oh, I prayed for that woman. Fell, fell, fell back in love with that woman. Have no resentment toward anyone. Not had any resentment since that moment. That's that's the secret. I'm telling you to my own spirituality. If you're resenting people, 
please ask God to take that from you as you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, you've heard me say many times, Holy Spirit moves from higher pressure to low pressure, foreign to least resistance. Ruah, when is translated in the in the 70, was pneuma. Spirit, spirit trans, translates the word when, because spirit like when moves from high pressure to low pressure. We got we can look out my window here. See that? Uh, we get high pressure come in here sometimes 150 miles an hour. Yeah, that's for sure. I tell you, call hurricanes. Uh, but anyway, uh, wind moves from high pressure to low pressure. And the Spirit of God moves from high pressure to low pressure. What creates low pressure? Repentance and faith. That's good. Read Romans 8. John Wesley preached more from Romans 8 than any other book in the Bible. And preached more from Romans 8, 8, 16, which is my spirit. The Spirit of God bears with my spirit that I am a child of God. He, he had... He had he had trouble with uh, uh, assurance all of his life. That's why Aldersgate was so significant. He had doubts, uh, and he thought uh, he was going to go to hell if he kept having these doubts. He didn't want to have these doubts. God bless him. God bless old John Wesley. Uh, he wasn't perfect, but he was dead serious about God. I fell in love with him. I read every word he ever wrote. I'm the only person I know has done that. Every single word, every sermon, every journal, every diary, every uh, all of it, all of his works. Uh, it took me six months to do it, reading 10, 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week. But I got it done 60 years ago. Can you believe that? Uh, and he changed my life because of his ability. He resented no one. Are you listening? That was his key. My key, you ask me, I'm telling you, I have no resentment toward anyone. I, 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 I love that. And I want to ask like two follow-up questions, and this may end up being the rest of our time, but I, I want to hit hit on these because this is super helpful, Bob, and, and I know that everybody's being blessed. So you've talked in the past I want to come, I'm going to ask a big Wesley question, but the first thing is like you all, one of the best pieces of advice that you ever gave me that makes more sense the longer I live and get into a better, I would say spiritual place and maybe create more of this low pressure that you're talking about is you always talked about expectations. And, and to me, there's a relationship between resenting someone and having expectations that are too high. It, I mean, do you make that connection yourself and you always say, lower your expectations? And sure. I used to hate that something like, I don't want to lower my expectations. I want to get somewhere with my life or I want to have high expectations for where I work or for other people. But I actually agree with you. We got to lower, lower expectations. So what role does releasing resentment and lowering expectations. Is there a relationship with those two things that God has showed you in your life? Or, or am I just connecting two things that don't go together? I'm sure, I'm sure they're connected. That's an interesting comment. Right? You're helping me here. Yeah, because you always talk about lowering expectations. So like, how was, have you been helped spiritually by lowering your expectations for other people? places that you've worked and how has that helped you to just show up, pay attention and let God do his thing. That makes ministry so much more easier in this very room in that very chair right there. My neighbor downstairs, he just came back from uh, Michigan yesterday. They're going to spend the winter here. 
uh, Diane and I had uh, he and his wife over to dinner one night. And he said to me, uh, people around here say, tell me you're religious. He said, are you religious? I said, well, I don't know that I've ever put it that way. Uh, but yet I have a heart for God. And I, I know that God has a heart for me. And he said, well, I'm an atheist. You know what I did? What did you do? I wept. Mm. I did not say another word. I wept right here. And what did he do when you wept? Uh, he sat and looked at me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that, is, that was the beginning of an, an incredible ministry in his life. Wow. He, he, uh, he used to say, I'm lucky. When he was uh, 30 years ago, he broke his neck. And, and, and I think God healed his neck. And I said, this is, this, is, well, this is one of the most recent things I've said to him. I said, don't say you're lucky. Uh, you don't have anybody to thank if you're lucky. It's just chance. Say you're blessed. That way you have someone to thank. And that, that will enrich uh, your, your own sense of God's presence. Thanking God. For blessing you. Because mm -hmm. I believe your neck was healed 30 years ago. And I want you to get to the place where you can acknowledge the one who heals you so that he can bless you. And that's where we are now. We're working on that. So I've got him to the place where he says he's blessed. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to lead him to Jesus. I believe that. Or somebody will. Doesn't have to be me. Uh, it's not really important that it be me. I just want him to die and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. I don't mean die now, but when he dies, I want him to go to heaven. No, no, I think that yeah, I got you. I wasn't even thinking about what the literal words you said, but yeah, I got, I got what you said. <laughs> we don't want him to die today. We want him to die. <laughs> Does that help you? No, I think it does. And so like, how did you, how did you learn? I mean, at what point did you start giving the advice, lower your expectations and you'll never be disappointed? Was that after you gave up resentment or if you, did you have that before you got, uh, before you, uh, you, know, you know, Brian, I used to have a good answer to that, but I forgot it. That's okay. Yeah. I forgot. I'm forgetting a lot of stuff. Uh, well, but when, when did that happen? I'm thinking, I'm thinking here. You got me thinking. Uh, I think maybe I realized that uh, too high uh, an expectation sometimes caused cause resentment. Yeah, yeah. I had more difficulty relating to people who disappointed me because of expectations. And so when I lowered my expectations, I found it much easier to relate to them and to love them. And they sensed that in me. Mm-hmm. If they sense that I have high expectations and they're not measuring up, they don't feel good about me. But if they know I'm simply loving them for who they are, they're okay where they are. And I want them to have a fresh encounter with the living God every day, uh, but without ever saying that. Uh, but they sense that. Uh, I, want to, I want them to rejoice. That's, that's been... Uh, Part of my secret is the ability to rejoice. Hallelujah. Forgive me. I can't help myself. Hallelujah. And I thank God for each one of you 
I do. And did you hear what I said right off the bat? God adores you. Now, your inclination sometimes is to resist, resist that. Are you sure? God? I'm absolutely positive. Why? Because that's who God is. And that's what Jesus says to you. Jesus is Lord. I spent uh, a lot of time with E. Stanley Jones. Just wrote a biography of E. Stanley Jones, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I remember uh, uh, I, I used to go to his ashrams. You know what ashrams are? Uh, you know what ashrams are? Well, you can share. I mean, I don't know if everybody else does. Obviously, that, that was related originally to Hindu groups, but it was like a teaching, commu a communal type of a thing. So talk a little bit about what that would have meant and how that was even missionally helpful for Jones to practice that in India. Yeah. You gather people, uh, uh, usually uh, no more than 50. And the first day, they, they say to the group, uh, Stanley Jones sits in a, uh, was, he was always there. He would sit in a chair behind a table with a pen and pad and, and ask each of us to say, why, what, why are you here? What are your expectations? And as they would express their expectations, he would write them down. And those would become the topics for his sermons that evening. He was the evangelist in the evening. Uh, other people did the, did the Bible teaching, but he was always the evangelist in the evening. And he would take these notes from what people were saying. This is why I'm here. And then throughout the week, they usually last for one week, these ashrams. Uh, in the morning, you get up, there's a prayer session. Uh, and then there's a Bible teaching. And then you have lunch together. And the early afternoon, uh, you have a work session where you, you where you work, where you do work around the campus where we happen to, where the ashram happens to be by raking and, and uh, cleaning places. And then we have free time until supper. And then we have the evangelist preach at supper. Now that's, that's, the, that's the agenda for every day. And the last day, <coughs> excuse me, I told you the first session is called the open heart. Mm -hmm. The last session is called the overflowing heart. Mm. There we come back and we describe how God has met our need. And it's a glorious time of celebration. So we always, and then we always finish with the Eucharist. Okay. In, in, anyway, by the way, the Eucharist, uh, take, take the Eucharist every chance you get. Wesley, cook it every day. Uh, Bob Stamp says the Eucharist gives you a chance. Faith needs something to do and something to say. And the Eucharist gives you an opportunity to do something and say something. But I told Stanley that I would work for him for nothing and work with his youth if he would give me 30 minutes alone with him a day. Stanley Jones, greatest missionary evangelist in the last century. I'm convinced of that. Uh, didn't make it so, but I'm convinced of it. And he gave me 30 minutes alone with him every morning. And first words out of his mouth, he opened his Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. You know it. And you know what he said? He said, Brother Bob. He'd always call me Brother Bob. I had to call him Brother Standing. He said, Brother Bob. Paul dipped his pen in the blood of his broken heart and mm -hmm. set pain to music. That's why the whole key is. It's, it's God's love for us. Mm -hmm. Read First Corinthians, uh, uh, you know, Ephesians, uh, First John four. 
John. John was the disciple that, uh, that uh, Jesus loved. It says here, dear friends, this is First John 4. Uh, 4, verse 7 looks like. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. I wonder what that means. Whoever does not love does not know God. Well, I got this theory. You want to hear it? Yes. It means whoever does not love does not know God. It means exactly what it says. Yeah, it's good. God, <laughs> because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, excuse me, sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also, we also ought to love one another. So good. Isn't that good? Yeah. So, you know, so that was just such a beautiful articulation of, uh, of, of just the core of the faith. And I just want to ask you a kind of a final question, uh, which would be about what gives you hope? And, I, and maybe you've already said it, but what, what's your sense of the future of the Wesleyan holiness movement, if you will? And what gives you hope about the, the, the power of the gospel for the 21st century? Since, I mean, you've lived a long time, done a lot of ministry, but what, 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 what would you say? What's your vision for the future? If, if there even is one, if that's even a good question, but what, you know, rooted in Wesley, like what, uh, what gives you hope for the future? And what do you think is going to, what's the future of the Wesleyan movement? Uh, and it's, it's, it's a good question. And the answer is actually fairly simple. Uh, I know that God is at work in the world. Yeah. And the work of the church or any denomination than anyone. And, and the Holy power of the Holy Spirit is available to sustain any movement that will look to him. And so as a minister of the gospel, uh, I want to remind people that God loves you and makes the power of the Holy Spirit available to you in this moment. And I don't care what the church does. God has more, that's, that's the body of his son, Jesus. Yes. And God has more invested in that than anyone. And he will somehow, we may split. We probably will in the United Methodist Church, of which I'm a part. Uh, but God will sustain us. God has a way of, of picking up this, taking up the slack. And all we have to do is to believe that God is who God says God is. What did it say here? God is a God of love. God absolutely adores the church and the people there represented. And Jesus is the body. And everything that he did, we will do. We'll have moments. I mean, there have been moments. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a church historian. I've made my living I'm studying church history. I, I know what's, what the church is capable of doing. I know what the early church was capable of doing. Uh, one in 60 Christians were martyred for the first 300 years of the life of the church. Did you know that? Wow. One in 60 were martyred. The, the, the roads to Rome were lined with thousands of Christian crosses, people hanging from them. Uh, but when, uh, when we became the church, 
I think we took a step back actually when we became acceptable, but uh, we became the church and uh, the church began to grow. And God has more invested in that growth than anyone. And we want to be obedient to God and remember what God tells us. What? We are to love each. First of all, we are to believe that God loves us. That's why I began there now, people. Those weren't idle words. I began there because God loves you. And, and if you can acknowledge that, uh, God will lead you to the place where you need to be and you will not get discouraged. You'll see things happen that you disagree with. I don't talk politics anymore. I rarely watch TV news anymore. I, I do watch uh, the 15 minutes in the morning uh, because I want to know what's going on in the world. I don't want to miss anything. But uh, I, I, I refuse to get down. Uh, that's why I'm writing this book against, uh, uh, did I tell you that? I know I told you. But you said it before we started. We start before we start recording. You talked about your next book, so yeah, you can give a little little sneak peek for folks so people can anticipate uh, what's what's coming. I'm writing a book against extremism. It's good. Uh, and I use the Latin phrase uh, "veritas" and "medio est," which means the truth is in the middle. Now that's that's too broad a statement, and I'm not sure I can always uh, document that. But the extremes are killing us. And we don't like each other. And I want people on both extremes to be able to communicate. Uh, and I, I begin the first line in the book. You may appreciate this. Uh, some children in the class were asked, who started the American Civil War? And a little girl raised her hand and says, I know. And the teacher said, who? She said, Fox News and MSNBC. Now, you laugh, but uh, there may be some truth to that. Uh, we want, we, I want people to get along. I want people in the church. We're about to split. And I want to get along with the people. The, the, the woman who started the movement that's splitting, the global church, I mentored her three years ago for a whole year. Uh, we read the, read the same four chapters of the Bible. That's what I do with the people I mentor. I read four chapters of the Bible. I've told you this before. Uh, Every day, I don't recommend that for everybody because what's freedom for some people can be bondage for others. That's good. But I read four chapters of the Bible and I mark it up. You can see how I've marked it up. Genesis to Revelation. I start Matthew 1 on, on January 1 and read uh, through the first New Testament uh, by March 6 or 7 and then go to Genesis and then read the whole Bible by Christmas. So I read the New Testament twice, the Old Testament once. I mark it up. I uh, take my, and then I give it away. I've given away 45 of these. I'm about to start my new one come, come New Year's. Uh, and that has sustained me. Like I say, I don't recommend it. It's just what God has laid on my heart. That's I good. want you to listen to what God is saying to you. What, what is God teaching you through this deep spirituality uh, blog? Listen carefully to what God is teaching you through, through Brian Russell. He's a man of God. Listen, you're blessed to be a part of this. I, I, I salute you for wanting to be a part of this blog. Uh, it'll bless you, but it's God's way, one of God's ways, one of many of God's ways, uh, to remind you that God is still in control. Good. I, I, I wrote a little note to Brian. He, he, he said, he said talking about deep, and I reminded him that uh, spirituality is deep when it makes you deep. Uh, 
Theology is deep and it makes you deep. Obscure theology makes you obscure. Uh, we want to be clear in what we're saying. I want to be clear in what I'm saying to you. I'll say it one more time and then I'm quitting. God absolutely adores you. Why? Why? Because you're adorable. That's so good. Not because that's what God does, but because you're adorable. And I love you for it. Bless you. Bless, bless you. And thanks. Thank you so much. And I mean, that is, that is to me, that's the heart of it. It's, it's, it's when we realize where um, we accept the fact that we're unconditionally accepted and loved by God. Yes. When we realize we're God's, uh, you know, like Brennan Manning's book, Abba's child, we're God's beloved, we're all those yes. things before we do anything else. And uh, I love that, Bob. And I want to thank you for for being my guest today i want to thank you for your ministry again we're going to have you back on just because it's always so good to, to hear you on here but i just want to be just super grateful for you today and again thanks everybody for listening and uh, you know until the next time live by faith be known by love and be voices of hope in the world amen amen i love you pal thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you've been touched by Bob's words and are interested in finding out more, check out the show notes. You can look at into his books that he's written, previous interviews I've done with Bob. And there's also links to some of the resources from me, including a link to my latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. Let me know if I can be of any service to you. Love to hear your feedback. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others.